Amen. Hey, once again, we are in our study, World Religions, Cults, and the Occult. Number 14, Mary is. Look at that. That's amazing, man. That's a That's right. And uh, by way of recap, we're in our study. So far, we've seen the definition, of course, of witchcraft, the different types of witchcraft, uh, and the location, basically, worldwide. And we're certainly seeing that throughout our history section. The protection. How do you get protected from witchcraft? Jesus. Jesus is always a safe answer, especially in church services, for those of you wondering. Okay. Uh, if you say squirrel or KFC, you're on bad track. Okay. So Jesus, of course, is one. If you're not saved, you need to get saved. Hello. But if you are saved and you experience spiritual warfare, even including against people in the occult, you don't have to worry in the name and authority of Jesus. Now, we've been the last couple of weeks in the history of witchcraft. Where did this all come from? How do we end up in a society, even in United States of America, Christian nation, how do we get so full of the occult? Well, we've been t- taking the history, and last time we started with the history of Babylon. Babylon, as we saw, based on history and biblical history, we'll get to again tonight, is where it all started. All the modern recent stuff, man, it's nothing new under the sun. Babylon is the sewer pipe from where all this came from after the original rebellion, after the flood, okay? And it's not just witchcraft, it's all kinds of occult techniques came out of Babylon and then spread from there. Okay, and we saw various things uh, that came from Babylon that are very reminiscent, even including vampires. You think that's just some uh, Western Europe thing? No, it's not. That was back in Babylon. And we saw that in a couple different ways uh, in our witchcraft study. We certainly saw that with the Ekamu, uh, the Uruku Tuku, for those of you hooked on bad Babylonian, uh, but uh, the succubi, the incubi, uh, the vampires, the seven demons, those are more akin to what us. They actually said that these were the ones that s- suck people's blood. So again, this whole concept of that is nothing new under the sun. Uh, Lamesh too was there, Lilith, uh, Viralakas, and then words. Words are big uh, in witchcraft and the occult, and we're going to see that again in tonight's study, and so uh, you need to understand that. Words, exact meanings, the exact names, the exact names of the person you want to do something to, uh, the, the exact spell has to have the correct pronunciation words are huge well that's nothing new under the sun that was going on way back then even water and purification that was babylon witchcraft potions where'd all that start that was you know just in england you know back in in scotland and all those no it's not that was nothing new under the sun and even the magic circle was nothing new that started out of babylon but again babylon is the sewer pipe where it all started now babylon what happened at babylon the tower of babylon what did god do Confused the languages, and then what happened? They spread out. Well, guess where it went to next? Witchcraft is where it all started. Okay, but guess where? It went to Egypt, and Egypt is what we're going to be studying tonight. And I knew that they had some occult practices, but after doing the study, you got to be kidding me. You know all the, the hieroglyphics that you see inside the, the, the walls in the pyramids, the, the hieroglyphics that you see on the, the sarcophagi and things of that nature, the papyrus that you find, the writings you think, oh, they're writing about their victories of war and, and the weather and animals and stuff. No, it's witchcraft. And you're going to see that tonight. It's absolutely crazy. These guys were flooded with witchcraft, dead or alive. Everybody was involved in Egypt in witchcraft. We'll see that tonight. But what I want to do is just demonstrate, once again, God gets it right. Biblical history is always right. As he said, it started in Babylon. How do we know it really went to Egypt next? Well, we're going to trace that trail tonight, biblically and historically, then get into our stuff. Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11 is our opening text there. And if you find the first book of the Bible, what do you do? Go to chapter 11. That's right. Bob, you're on the ball, you biblical Hebrew scholar, you. Uh, Genesis chapter 11, verses 5 through 9. Of course, this is the Tower of Babel. Okay. 
And uh, of course, this as we saw, it was shortly after the flood. Believe it or not, the worldwide flood still didn't get these people's attentions. It wasn't that long after, as we saw last week, that here you go again, you're already rebelling against God. But what we're going to see tonight, a couple different uh, things. Uh, one, it wasn't just they built a tower and also disobeyed God because God says what? Repopulate the planet and what? spread out they didn't they says no we're going to stay in this one locale and then they had the audacity to build this tower in rebellion and uh but then uh we're going to see where it spread from there they got involved in witchcraft as we saw last week and man no wonder god had to shut these people down okay uh but let's take a look verse 5 says but the lord came down to see the city okay and the tower that men were building and the lord said if as one people speaking the same language they begin to do this hey do we see our languages uh, coming together again today you got technology it doesn't matter you don't even have to learn the language just speak in your phone it'll spit it right back in any other language you want just in time for another rebellion under the headship of the antichrist but that's bible prophecy right uh and so they begin to do this in one language they didn't because and that's so powerful that what then nothing they plan will what will be impossible for, to them so come let us who's us the trinity let us go down and, perf- uh, and confuse their language so they will not understand each other so the Lord scattered them from there for what? Over all the earth. Now again, where was this taking place? Babylon, and they spread where? Over all the earth. And they stopped building the city. That's why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world, and from there the what? The Lord scattered them from the face of the whole earth. So he says it more than once there. So basically what we see here in the text is that God basically had to judge these people. Again, the worldwide flood, you would think that would get your attention. You'd think that that would resonate in your brain even several generations later. Hey, whatever you do, don't disobey God and do wicked things like the days of Noah, you know, that, that society. Don't do it. These guys were not just back at it, but as we saw last time, man, they were steeped in witchcraft. It wasn't just building that tower, okay? It's crazy how wicked it got so fast, okay? But so God came down, okay, and what did he do? He confused right and the next thing you know one guy's working on this tower over here and uh, his buddy over here all of a sudden he said hey joe pass the hammer and he turns around to him and all of a sudden he just <laughs> right and then all of a sudden this guy over here looks at him like hum, 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 right and so whoa so a supernatural event basically and that's my best uh uh, Egyptian language uh, thing went there. See, he was Babylonian, e- Egyptian, then Greece, and what have you. Uh, <laughs> but really, that really happened, right? Because you're sitting there one minute, and then what happened is the people who began to speak this particular language began to coalesce together, and they stuck together. Well, then the other people that spoke this brand new thing that God caused to happen, they co- coalesced together, and then they began to spread out, and vice versa. So that's really what happened. A supernatural event from God, but it caused them to what? To divide. It caused them to disband. It caused them to finally do what they were supposed to do and go over all the earth, okay? In fact, talk about specifics. God said that this not only happened in the Genesis 11 account, but if you back up to Genesis uh, chapter 10, you see uh, a whole chapter there dealing with the table of the nations, okay? And basically, chapter 10 is the overview of, okay of the earth spreading out the nations after the flood of noah genesis 11 is the specific okay uh of how god did it with the tower of babel and the confusion of the languages very akin to genesis 1 is the overview of the creation account genesis 2 god gets into specifics okay okay it's not two different things it's specifics now in genesis 10 god says that not only they spread out uh, over the earth like he did 11 but he said specifically in the time of a guy named Peleg, right? 
And uh, that was the guy where all the pirates came from. No, that's Peg Leg, whoever said that. That's not even funny. You're making fun of people. But anyway, that's right. Uh, Peg Leg, and that's Genesis 10, 25 and 32 says this. Two sons were born to Eber. One was Peg Leg because in his time, the earth was divided. His brother's name was Joktan. These are the clans of Noah's sons according to their lines of descent within their nations. From these, the nations spread out over uh, the earth after the flood, right? So God gives us two things. It specifically happened, this dispersion across Babylon, going across the planet. Here comes the birth of the nations uh, at the Tower of Babel. But also he says here that it's specifically in the time of this guy named Peleg, okay? So is that true? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, the biblical account, trucker, always gets it right. And it's archaeologists that's catching up with the biblical account. Now, let me get into that evidence, okay? And then we're going to get into our study on Egypt. But I want to show you that. The biblical dating, okay, if you want to get specifics, last time we were throwing out generics. But they would say anywhere from the 2349 to 2348 BC, that's where the flood was. So if you do the math and you study the genealogy, uh, the, the names there, Peleg was born about 2247, Okay, about 100 years uh, afterwards. Now, you put this all together and you start to see this is exactly when the nations of the earth were not only springing forth from a single source, i.e. Babylon, okay, but just like they said, they're spreading out from a single source and they just happen to be speaking different languages in a short amount of time. Okay, let's take a look at that. Uh, Based on historical records, and these are secular records, they just happen to agree with the biblical account. Uh, Babylon which is obviously we're right next to the Tower of Babel, was founded in 2234 BC. That's about 13 years after the birth of this Peleg guy, okay? Now, history also records for us, and we dealt with this in our creation studies, okay? How many of you guys remember all those 42 weeks on creation versus evolution? <laughs> Praise God. We'll talk online later, all right? Uh, but we learned that there was another reason, at least in history. You know, can't say thus saith the Lord, but they'd give us an, what's another reason why they were building that tower, Right? Was it just to make a name for themselves? Well, watch this. It's in their act of rebellion. The Toltec Indians, of course, have a story about the flood account. As we saw, there's about 500 different flood accounts around the world in different cultures. So you think if there was a worldwide flood that affected the whole planet, then people across the planet would be talking about it. Well, they are. Shocker. Okay. Outside the Bible, by the way. And what they say is the first world lasted about 1,716 years, was destroyed by a great flood, covered even the highest mountains. This is the Toltec legend. They called the guy, instead of Noah, they called him Tappy. They said he was a very pious man. He was, the creator told Tappy to build a boat in which he would live in and escape the coming destruction. He was told to take his wife and a pair of every animal that was alive into the boat. Naturally, everybody thought he was crazy. Then quote, what? The rain started to come, right? We do the same thing today. Hey, get into the ark of Jesus. Hurry up. There's this event that's going to happen you've never seen before with the rapture and something's not going to come down from the sky. We're going to go up into the sky. Yeah, you wackos. Until they see us leave. Very interesting. Then the men, the animals, they say, tried to climb the mountains, but the mountains became flooded as well, which is what the Bible says. Remember, even above the highest mountains, it kept going. You can, you're not going to escape God's judgment. Okay. Finally, the rain ended and Tappy decided the water had dried up. So he let loose a dove and following the great flood, people began to multiply and what? Build a very great type. Now, why? They add a rationale to provide a safe place in case the world were destroyed again. You ain't going to take us out again, God. We're going to, isn't that add? Now, you can't say thus saith the Lord. It's extra biblical, but it just adds another layer to the rebellion. Yeah. You know, and uh, however, guess what? 
They agree with the, the Tower of Babel incident, Genesis 11. Everyone started speaking different languages and the people became confused. So different language groups, what? They banded together and then they began to wander out and begin to establish their own society apart to the world. The Toltecs claimed that they started as a family of seven friends and their wives who spoke the same language. They crossed great waters, lived in caves, and wandered for 104 years until they came to southern Mexico. And they say this is about 520 years after the great flood. They finally uh, settled in that area. So adds a little bit to that. But that was, okay, so Babylon, I just want to throw that in there as a little uh, teaser of maybe another reason why they were building the tower. But you got Babylon after Peleg, 13 years later. Another piece of uh, uh, evidence, Egypt was founded in 2188 BC, a little further down south from Babylon. Remember, they're Babylon, and then they're going to disperse. So a little bit down south, about 60 years after the birth of Peleg. And then, according to Eusebius, a Greece uh, historian, uh, in 2089, Greece was founded. Further from the west of Babylon, that's about 160 years after the birth of Peleg. So you stir all this together, what do you get? All three nations were not only founded in a relatively short time from each other, okay, but each one was what? Speaking a totally different language. Now, how does that happen? You think, I mean, how long does it take for one language to morph into another? It takes forever, right? Okay, but yet there are three complete distinct languages, and in a short amount of time, they got three complete distinct languages and cultures, all stemming from the original place uh, out of Babel. Okay, Babylon was founded first, closest to the original point of origin. Then came Egypt, uh, a little further away from the point of origin. Then Greece, founded third, exactly like the Bible says in the days uh, of Pele. Okay, so I just want to give you that. It's kind of a neat thing if you're into Bible history, and you should. And, uh, but once again, God gets it right. Okay, and I brought that up because, again, I'm not just going through this history willy-nilly. I'm following the biblical trail, the biblical admonition to stay away from witchcraft. God didn't like it back when it started in Babylon. He still doesn't like it today. But unfortunately, after Babylon, they got steeped in not just building that tower for rebellious reasons, but they were already rebelling in witchcraft as we saw last week. God dispersed them. That's it. Unfortunately, guess what also went with them? Not just a new language, but what? Witchcraft practices. So according to history and the Bible, what was the next one that it went to? Egypt. Okay, and that's why I said all that just to get to that because you'll never get that on the back of a granola bar, right? Egypt, let's talk about Egypt and witchcraft. Man, these guys, I'm telling you, were so steeped in witchcraft, it's nuts. Everything they did was steeped in witchcraft. Every level of society in Egypt was involved in witchcraft. No wonders we're gonna see God sent the 10 plagues on them, okay? But Egypt, again, they were steeped in witchcraft. Riches today, you know, we associate them with Halloween or the Salem witch trials, but it is nothing new under the sun, Witchcraft has been around ever since Babylon. It goes to Egypt. They've been around for centuries. Ancient Egyptians were known to practice various forms of witchcraft, all sectors of society with, quote, mathematical precision. I mean, they got, they dialed this thing down. They had it down as a science. They made a business out of it. It's crazy, okay? From everyday healing, supposedly, to treachery in the court, magic, witchcraft pervaded every aspect of the Egyptian life. Now, in Egypt, they have a term for magic, okay? It's called Heka, okay? Heka actually was one of their deities, okay? But that actually is w- where they get the word uh, magic, okay? Is, that was the Egyptian word for it, Heka. And they believe that they, these forces, these magical forces, uh, is what made the world, okay? And that if you could tap into the Heka, the magic, then you could manipulate your world and get what you want, okay? But again, that was also a name of one of their 
uh, deities. And as you can see there, that's Heka. Uh, it was supposed to be the god of magic. But again, that word Heka means magic, okay? Now, all the deities uh, and people were thought to possess this magic. They believed that that's what made the world and that uh, everybody had the ability to, uh, you know, tap into this. You know, you had the, uh, this force, this magic, this Heka to some degree. Uh, but there were, quote, rules about why and how it could be used. So they, they had strict regulations, okay? Uh, instead of fearing witches, the ancient Egyptians viewed them with, quote, reverence and necessity. They were woven into all aspects of their society. A witch in ancient Egypt could be called upon to solve any number of problems, okay, for the ordinary citizen. So they were permeated throughout. In Egypt, people who controlled the magic, okay, were called the priests, Okay, and a lot of the things that you see depicted in their artwork are basically witches, priests, witches, and things of that nature. We're thinking, oh, those people just doing kind of weird stuff. No, those are witches. They're priests, witchcraft. Okay, uh, they were considered the guardians of knowledge bestowed upon humans by the gods, and that these guys knew these techniques. Okay, and uh, they could help you out in society. There was different levels, which we're going to get into in a second, of witches of these priests and things of that nature. Uh, there was what's called the lector priests. There was what's called healing priests. Okay. And we'll see a couple other subsections. Okay. But by the first millennium BC, they were no longer only in the hands of the priests. And then witchcraft began to permeate uh, the whole public uh, sector. Uh, it fell to individual magicians and witches, and then they were helping people. Uh, the midwives got into it. So-called nurses got into it to help people with sick and childbirth. They used witchcraft even for that. So-called wise women uh, were consulting a ghost or a deity, which is necromancy uh, uh, and, and things of that nature, which God condemns, uh, so that they could figure out through the, the, the ghost or the deity what was causing this person trouble uh, in life or healing, uh, but it was every aspect of their society, okay? But let's start going down through the different uh, layers. Now, basically, the big dogs, okay, the most popular ones, the ones that were considered with the highest status were these guys, the elector priests, okay, uh, in Egypt there. Uh, they were the most respected users of magic who could read the ancient books of magic, okay, that were kept in the temple and palace libraries, well, why was that important? Because basically hardly anybody knew how to read back in this culture, all right? So they had access to, if you will, from a witchcraft sense, the good stuff, right? Uh, and so they had that access. In fact, they were credited, these lector priests, uh, they basically worked more for just the king. They would hire out their services to the average Joe, I guess maybe some cash on the side, but mainly they were for the royalty, these were the top dogs, the lector priests. Uh, they were credited with power to, quote, bring wax animals to life, even, quote, roll back the waters of a lake. Okay, and what's that sound like? Very similar to what Moses did, except to not a lake, but a whole sea. Okay, and thinking that's not by chance, as we're gonna see in a second. Okay, but these are the people, okay, you're basically taking a look, let's back up here. These witch priests, were the people that Moses went up against when he approached Pharaoh and said, let my people go. It wasn't just magicians, right? You think magicians, people like that here in LA, or, uh, Las Vegas. No, these were basically, Moses was going up against witches and Moses was competing, if you will, against witchcraft in Egypt. But let's remind ourselves of that first encounter that Moses had with the witches of Egypt. Let's take a look at that. What kingdom has sent you? The kingdom of the Most High. 
These must be ambassadors for an Indian life. Uh, Bedouins? What gifts do you bring? We bring you the word of God. What is this word? Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, let my people go. The slaves are mine, their lives are mine, all that they own is mine. I do not know your God, nor will I let Israel go. Who are you to make their lives bitter in hard bondage? Man shall be ruled by law, not by the will of other men. Who is this God that I should let your people go? Aaron, cast down my staff before Pharaoh, that he may see the power of God. In this you shall know that the Lord is God. Nothing of his will harm you, my son. The power of your God is a cheap magician's trick. Janus. and swallows up the others. You gave me this staff to rule over scorpions and serpents, but God made it a rod to rule over kings. Hear his word, Ramses, and obey. <laughs> obey? Moses, Moses. Are there no magicians in Egypt that you have come back to make serpents out of sticks? Or cause rabbits to appear? You're going to regret that. <laughs> but it adds another element. Okay, who is he going up against? It's witches. It's really what it is. He's going up against witchcraft. Okay, and we'll explain how were they able to do and, and mimic at least a couple of uh, what Moses uh, did as well. But again, to me, that adds another reason. Why, why didn't Pharaoh respond? Because he was like, that's no big deal. Whoop-de-doo-dah. Our witches can do the same thing. Why should I listen to you? So again, witchcraft, when you enter in that element, you understand what was going on in that culture uh, as well. But let's take a look at that real quick, and then we'll continue on. But how in the world where were these guys... Uh, able to mimic uh, uh, Pharaoh's magicians, basically witches, how were they able to do it? Well, let's take a look at that. Of course, the account is found in Exodus 7 through 8. And Moses and Aaron, why did God give them supernatural powers to do these miracles in the first place? 
to confirm their message, right? And they knew that, and of course, God knew that Pharaoh was going to say, yeah, give me a sign, buddy, okay? And uh, so that's, that's what he did. Now, uh, God granted the uh, ability, uh, knowing that uh, Pharaoh was going to demand a sign, so they throw down the snake, as you, you just saw, the staff, it turns into a snake, uh, uh, Pharaoh immediately did it with his magicians or witches. They were able to do the same thing. Uh, but it must have been an ominous sign for Pharaoh's court when Aaron's snake devoured the magician's snake. And of course, you see that Exodus 7, 8 through 13. But twice more, if you keep reading the Bible and not just rely on Hollywood's version, uh, the Pharaoh's magicians were able to perform miracles that did also match uh, Moses and Aaron. Uh, you read that the first plague that Moses called down upon the Egyptians, the, the plague of blood, the magicians or witches of Egypt were able to turn water into blood uh, as Moses had done to the Nile. The second plague, the horde of frogs uh, that God sent upon the Egyptian people, the, the magicians did it as well. Actually made their situation even worse. Okay, but that's it. It stopped. After this, the magicians, witches, their power, quote, stopped, and they were unable to replicate any further plagues, okay, and they admitted, whoa, boy, we're outmatched, which is a very powerful lesson for anybody involved in the occult today. You're being lied to, you're being duped, okay? Satan might give you a little bit of ability, but it's nothing compared to God, okay? And you need to recognize that God is the supreme power, and you need to drop this stuff and run to Jesus Christ, okay? as well but the the magicians how were they able to do it well if it was really real and wasn't just smokes uh, and mirrors so to speak then i think obviously it's a satanic thing we know scripturally that satan is powerful and we also know that satan is a masquerade as an angel of light but he also uh, has power to uh, deceive people uh, to do counterfeit miracles signs and wonders right so he, he's got power but nothing like god Okay, at all. So that's uh, what I would say is how they were able to do that. Uh, they eventually were stymied by God's power, the Egyptians' witches. They were unable to summon the gnats. They couldn't turn the sky dark. They couldn't call down hailstones. They couldn't duplicate the rest of them. God's power is great enough to defeat both man's conniving and Satan's power with ease. Now, let me give you one more aspect to that account. You notice, and they did call out a name when he, uh, Pharaoh was calling to his uh, witches, basically. Uh, Who did he call out? Jonas, okay? Now, Jonas, where do you get that? Because that sounds Egyptian. No, actually, that comes out of the New Testament, okay? The New Testament actually records for us the names of two of Pharaoh's witches, okay? They're called magicians, but there's really witches, okay? Uh, that's Jonas and Jambres, okay? This is what we see in 2 Timothy 3, 8, and I'll read it for you. Uh, it, it, the, the context is Paul's describing the wickedness in the last days, Okay, and Paul says, just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men oppose the truth, men of depraved minds, who as far as the faith is concerned are rejected, but they won't get very far, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. So that's where you get that. The New Testament gives us a little detail that those guys' names were there. Now, you can't say, thus saith the Lord, because this is Jewish tradition, uh, but there's another couple of nuggets, a possibility. And again, you can't say that, say the Lord, but just interesting Jewish tradition. Uh, a longstanding Jewish tradition was that Jonas and Jambres were the two chief magicians that not only withstood Moses and Aaron, but they, the names appear in the Talmud, the Jewish oral law. And according to one Midrash, which is the commentary, the two magicians, listen, left Egypt with the Israelites after the Passover. So they, they kind of give the connotation like, wow, they were amazed. They, obviously, they got defeated. So they, they joined them. 
Well, according to Jewish tradition, and again, you can't say thus saith the Lord, they were later, though, quote, instrumental in promoting the worship of the golden calf that Aaron had made. Now, again, you can't say thus saith the Lord, but that adds another element, doesn't it? Because we're all sitting there going, like, how in the world could you guys rebel so fast and get into such wicked behavior? Moses is only gone for a little bit, and then he's looking down, and it's some pretty bad behavior, and he's smashing the tablets, and then he goes, tells the Levites, go get them, and they start, you know, a bunch of people die. Well, Jewish tradition says it was these two magicians, witches, that went along with the group. Now, again, you can't say that, say the Lord, okay, but uh, maybe that has something to do with it. And also, according to that, they said that Jonas, the Jewish tradition, and Jambres continued to exert, quote, a wicked influence on Israel up until the time of Phineas. They also say that they were the two servants of Balaam uh, in Numbers 22. And again, they're, they're interesting. It's conjecture. You can't say thus saith the Lord. But, you know, it kind of adds another thing. But Paul confirms the names. Now, we can't confirm the names because it's inspired of God in the New Testament. So we know the names, the other details, again, whatever. But again, what's interesting is Paul's using their names, dealing with the occult and witchcraft, saying that these guys are rebellious and they're bucking against God as they did with Moses. It's gonna happen again in the last days. And do we see that today or what? Same thing. In, in fact, specifically witchcraft, we're seeing uh, uh, it arise in the last days and basically what Paul is saying is, is they're not going to get very far uh, their folly will be clear to everyone wait till Jesus comes back and judges the planet uh, hard lesson Lord but let's get back to those uh, lector priests okay again uh, they were uh, the ones who basically protected the king that was the main thing uh, they would recite spells hymns uh, during temple rituals official ceremonies they again sold their services to the laymen uh, I don't know if that was get some cash on the side or what, but they would recite texts for the laymen at rituals or at funerals, so kind of like a hired gun. But what are we talking about here? Not just, quote, magicians, not just priests, what are, what are they? Witches. People in witchcraft, okay? As such, they were the most prominent practitioners of ma- magic or heka in ancient Egypt. Uh, they, again, uh, they were supposed to have done all kinds of amazing feats. Uh, they were also in charge of not just uh, magic and doing things for the king and hiring the services out for the average Joe, but also when it came to the afterlife for the dead, right? So these guys came into play as well. And uh, you may have uh, uh, been familiar with some of their things, like the Book of the Dead. We'll get into a second what is that thing and all it is. So the witchcraft, again, they use witchcraft and basically in Egypt, every aspect of society, okay, but not just for the people who are alive. But witchcraft was everything to do with a successful afterlife, okay? It permeated all aspects of the society. Let me give you an example from some uh, papyri that they found of one guy dealing with this. The internal walls of the Pyramid of Unas, okay, as you can see here, that's a picture of there, okay? And you're thinking, well, he's describing his animals and how much money he had in life. No, he's not. That's all magic spells, Again, I'm telling you, the insides of the tombs, the sarcophagi, the coffins, uh, all had to do with witchcraft, the papyri. This culture was steeped in it. But this is, this is true, what they found. This is from the uh, Pyramid of Unas, and he was the pharaoh of the Egyptian fifth dynasty. They're covered in hundreds. As you can see there, those are all magical spells and inscriptions running from the floor to ceiling in vertical columns. Now, what they call the inscriptions of magic spells, witchcraft, on the temples inside the pyramids, guess what they call them? The pyramid texts, okay? 
took a while to figure out what we're gonna call those things, right? And, uh, but they contained spells needed by the Pharaoh in order to survive the afterlife. So they relied upon witchcraft and their techniques when they're alive, and they really relied upon it after they were dead. Well, it's too late, you're in hell, but we'll get to that in a second. The pyramid texts were strictly for the royalty only. In fact, the spells were kept secret from the commoners and were written only inside the tomb. So again, the rich guys, boy, they only got the good stuff. Now, here's what happened. This is interesting. How did it permeate the rest of the society? Because you got the lector priest and the servant, only the king. They're basically the only ones that can read, right? And they've got all this stored away in libraries and stuff. And even when they use it, they don't put it on the outside of the pyramid. They put it on the inside and you can't go in there and get it, right? So what happens? Tomb Raiders. Indiana Jones showed up and messed the whole thing up. No, this was long before Indiana Jones. But basically, watch this. Tomb robbers broke into the pyramids, and guess what they saw? They saw that. So guess what? Tomb robbers are the average Joe. So what happened is they began to learn the spells, and they began to inscribe the similar writings on their own afterlife needs. Of course, they couldn't uh, afford a pyramid, so they were buried in a coffin. So now you had the pyramid text. You guys, I know you're going to get this. I am fully confident. Pyramid text, well, the ones that were written on the pyramid walls, well, the tomb robbers got access to it, and they said, well, if it works for them, now we can do it and have a successful afterlife and use witchcraft too. They, they wrote them on the outside of their coffin, right? As you can see here, right? They would put them on there, and that's all witchcraft spells and stuff of that nature. And okay, so guess what they called those? <laughs> give yourself a golf clap Jim you guys are amazing right, see you're in my line of sight you're going to get it again right uh, the coffin text okay that's what they call them so uh, that's that's how you get that then guess what well it spread from the tomb people the tomb raiders and they started using it the common Joe but guess what once it's out there it began to spread right and then some people they couldn't even afford a coffin Right? But now they're getting access to what was only for the kings and, and things of that nature and the, the high ups and the rich people and uh, they can't have a coffin. So guess what? Then it went to basically paper or papyrus uh, back in the day. Okay, And so when they find the spells from these people in, in, in their tombs, if you will, uh, that's now only on papyrus, guess what they call those? Three for three. I'm confident. I'm so proud to be your pastor right now i just <laughs> yeah so that's what it is so that's where you get so if you if you study oh this is a papyrus text this is a pyramid text this is a coffin text that's what it is but all of them are what witchcraft they're not describing animals right this is all heavy duty occult stuff okay uh, but basically eventually the coffin text became so extensive they no longer fit on the outside of the coffin so they begin to record them on scrolls of papyrus then they would be placed on inside the coffin uh, because again you can't get all the words on the outside but you got it's got to be the right way the right length the right now what are you going to do so that's what happened and created that uh, sometimes they would put them on the deceased of the corpse uh, whatever but anyway so now they got so many copies of these papyri now cats out of the bag right now everybody, now everybody's getting access to this stuff they got so many they started to compile them into books and of course the most famous one you heard is guess what the book of the dead okay the real name for it is the book of coming forth by day okay and this thing okay is all about witchcraft okay as you can see they're basically the scales have you heard the term you you just need to weigh it in your heart well that's actually from the occult practices in egypt the weighing of the heart 
We'll get to that in just a second, okay? And the scales to see where you're really a rotten person. Do you deserve a good afterlife or a bad life? So that's what the scales represent. That's what's going on there. But basically, the Book of the Dead contained different spells. Egyptologists have identified more than 400 different spells all belonging to the Book of the Dead. There's so many of them, they codify them, they classify them based on their content and purposes, okay? And, uh, And so it began to spread now. So now it's all over the place, okay? And again, we're just talking with afterlife. We're not even talking about the daily life with witches and stuff of that nature. But now they become so popular uh, that a whole industry uh, arises, right? Because now everybody's got to have these things, right? I mean, you want to have a successful afterlife? Well, you better get some of these witchcraft spells going for you or you're toast, right? What what, what are you going to, I don't know how to write. So guess what? Now it becomes a business, and they begin to hire it out. Scribes, they're making money. Money, hand over fist. They start copying these manuscripts to customers who would buy copies to be buried with them in the tombs. Some of the editions were 90 feet long. Some contained beautiful color illustrations to illuminate the text. Others were just short, no illustrations. I guess basically what you could afford. It's kind of like you go out and buy a coffin today. You get one of this or you got that, you know, whatever. So, but this is, again, what we're talking about. We're talking about witchcraft spells, okay? Uh, the scrolls were copied before they were bought meaning that the name of the owner was unknown. Why? The scribes would leave the person's name blank purposely, and then when you bought it, you got to fill in the blank. So it's just like a form you could buy. But what are we talking about here? Witchcraft. Okay, every aspect of the society. But let, let, let's see, okay, so why were they so big? What was so big? Why did they need witchcraft? Why did they need spells uh, to take with them and other items? And we're gonna see amulets and other things that they were into. Why was that so big in the afterlife? Well, basically, in a nutshell, here is not only the reason for the Book of the Dead, but here's the belief of the Egyptians in the afterlife. And again, you not only need it for a successful, they believed uh, current life, but when you're dead, man, if you ain't got the right witchcraft, you're toast. Okay, but here, here's basically uh, what happened to this guy named Ani. Okay, Ani, again, is a, was a real Egyptian guy. Okay, and this is based on what they actually found uh, in his, uh, after he deceased and the writings and stuff. But he, here's, here's what, he banked on witchcraft to give him a good life. But here, here it is depicted. Ani stands before a large golden scale where the jackal-headed god Anubis is weighing his heart against a pure ostrich feather. Ani was a real person, a scribe from the Egyptian city of Thebes who lived in the 13th century BCE. And depicted here is a scene from his Book of the Dead, a 78-foot papyrus scroll designed to help him attain immortality. Such funerary texts were originally written only for pharaohs, but with time, the Egyptians came to believe regular people could also reach the afterlife, if they succeeded in the passage. Ani's epic journey begins with his death. His body is mummified by a team of priests who remove every organ except the heart, the seat of emotion, memory, and intelligence. It's then stuffed with a salt called natron, and wrapped in resin-soaked linen. In addition, the wrappings are woven with charms for protection and topped with a heart scarab amulet that will prove important later on. The goal of the two-month process is to preserve Ani's body as an ideal form with which his spirit can eventually reunite. But first, that spirit must pass through the duat, or underworld. 
This is a realm of vast caverns, lakes of fire, and magical gates, all guarded by fearsome beasts. Snakes, crocodiles, and half-human monstrosities with names like He Who Dances in Blood. To make things worse, Apep, the serpent god of destruction, lurks in the shadows waiting to swallow Ani's soul. Fortunately, Ani is prepared with the magic contained within his Book of the Dead. Like other Egyptians who could afford it, Ani customized his scroll to include the particular spells, prayers, and codes he thought his spirit might need. Equipped with this arsenal, our hero traverses the obstacles, repels the monster's attacks, and stealthily avoids Apep to reach the hall of Ma'at, goddess of truth and justice. Here, Ani faces his final challenge. He is judged by 42 assessor gods, who must be convinced that he has lived a righteous life. Ani approaches each one, addressing them by name and declaring a sin he has not committed. Among these negative confessions, or declarations of innocence, he proclaims that he has not made anyone cry, is not an eavesdropper, and has not polluted the water. But did Ani really live such a perfect life? Not quite, but that's where the heart scarab amulet comes in. It's inscribed with the words, do not stand as a witness against me, precisely so Ani's heart doesn't betray him by recalling the time he listened to his neighbor's fight or washed his feet in the Nile. Now it's Ani's moment of truth, the weighing of the heart. If his heart is heavier than the feather, weighed down by Ani's wrongdoings, it'll be devoured by the monstrous Amit, part crocodile, part leopard, part hippopotamus, and Ani will cease to exist forever. But Ani is in luck. His heart is judged pure. Ra, the sun god, takes him to Osiris, god of the underworld, who gives him final approval to enter the afterlife. In the endless and lush field of reeds, Ani meets his deceased parents. Here there is no sadness, pain, or anger, but there is work to be done. Like everyone else, Ani must cultivate a plot of land, which he does with the help of a Shabti doll that had been placed in his tomb. Today, the papyrus of Ani resides in the British Museum, where it has been since 1888. Only Ani, if anyone, knows what really happened after his death. But thanks to his Book of the Dead, we can imagine him happily tending his crops for all eternity. Yeah, actually, he's burning in hell for all eternity, uh, is the facts, okay, unfortunately. Uh, but notice the weighing of the scales. All oh, those crazy Egyptians, how could they believe in that stuff? How many people do you and I, even in the United States of America, believe the same thing? Well, as long as I'm not a, you know, my good deeds outweigh my, where do you think that comes from, folks? Nothing new under the sun, right? Right? And then what kind of a God do you have if you could, if, if you could lie by cheating by having a beetle over your heart? That's called a dumb God. Okay. <laughs> anyway, but another, another, real quick, and we got we to wrap this up, man. Uh, they also, another thing that they would do is they would have the corpses mummified. Why are you so big on the mummies? What's with the mummy? Okay. And you saw that, that they would do that. But why? Well, uh, they would basically do that because they wanted the body to survive as long as possible. Why? Because the Egyptians believed that a person's soul can only survive in the afterlife for as long as his or her physical body survived here on earth. Okay. So that's why. And that's why in the movies you say, don't touch the mummy right don't destroy the mummy right so uh things of that nature now they would also have another ceremony 
Okay, uh, once uh, the, the person's body was sealed inside the tomb, they would uh, get in towards the final ceremony. They'd have what's called the opening of the mouth. And that's what's depicted there. And, uh, but this ritual is the priest would touch various magical instruments. Again, what, what's that? Basically witchcraft to various parts of the deceased body, therefore giving the deceased the ability to see, hear, taste, and smell in the afterlife. So again, all through the normal life, Suppose the afterlife, if you didn't have access to witchcraft, uh, you're, you're in trouble. It, was, it permeated every aspect. Uh, on top of that, and all these different rituals and the uh, Book of the Dead and all these different spells, and they would also uh, bury the mummified corpse with magical uh, amulets, uh, protective charms to make sure they had a safe passage. The monsters didn't get them. Uh, the family would place important grave goods, called grave goods, inside the tomb to ensure that the person had what they needed in the next life. Okay. Now, they also had small figurines made of ceramic or wood, and these things were called the Shabtis, okay? And basically, the Shabtis were their slaves, okay, that they have. Uh, and that's some actual Shabtis that they find buried. You think, oh, they just wanted to depict their best friend, their neighbor, who was always nice. And no, that's a Shabti. Basically, those were their slaves. Now, here's what they believe. The Shabti were intended as, uh, intended as slaves for the deceased because the ancient Egyptians believed that physical labor was just as necessary in the afterlife as it is in the present life. Remember when he said he supposedly ended up in the good place and what? You still got to work, buddy. You got to do your little reed farm or whatever, right? Well, again, just like in the present life, who likes doing that? So, quote, they believe that the deceased could cast a spell to these animate uh, figurines so they would uh, basically come alive and then they could order them to, quote, perform tasks and chores in the afterlife so the deceased would not be forced to perform any labor. So they even worked in slavery <laughs> in the afterlife. It's crazy uh, with that. Uh, a second kind of priest uh, were these guys, uh, healing priests, okay? And these are the ones that basically came up with all kinds of concoctions. Again, this whole idea of witches with potions and put in the, the hair of a pig and, a, you know, all that. Nothing new under the sun. Uh, this is going on back then. Uh, they would treat wounds with uh, honey and resins and metals. They also discovered in the papyri dis, uh, prescriptions for laxatives of castor oil, bulk laxatives, uh, figs and bran. So grape nuts and all that stuff. You had nothing. Mr. Kellogg's, you were Johnny come lately. Okay. Uh, the cumin and coriander they used for intestinal issues and they used celery and saffron for rheumatism and they even used pomegranate supposedly to get rid of your tapeworms. Okay, in case you're wondering, okay? Uh, and this is why historians, believe it or not, the Greeks are the ones that typically get credited with uh, the birth of medicine. And they're saying, no, it wasn't. It was the Egyptians, okay? Because we're gonna see, Lord willing, next time, uh, that's where we're gonna go next. And it agrees, again, with the biblical account, to Greece. But Egypt was doing this uh, along. So Egyptians were really the fathers of medicine, okay? But of course, what was the medicine based on? Witchcraft, And even with the Greeks, you had the little snake on the pole and stuff. And what's up with that? And maybe we'll get to that later as well. Uh, but magic, uh, 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 witchcraft was not an alternative to their medical treatment. It was a part of their therapy. Uh, all kinds of spells survived that doctors used to, to do upon their patients. Uh, they were targeted on the supernatural beings that they believe were causing the problem for the patients, the diseases. And uh, the key was, again... As it is today, nothing new in the sun, you had to know the specific name of the entity that was causing the problem in order for these doctors and their spells to get rid of them. Uh, they would also believe that the demons causing these problems, or demons in general, 
in Egypt uh, were attracted by foul things, okay? Stinky things, okay, like chicken or something like that. Uh, But listen to this. Attempts were sometimes made to lure the demons out of the patient's body because supposedly they're attracted to foul things by uh, dung. So duty, basically, and, and if you put that on the person, that's supposed to, the, you, know, uh, you know, whatever. So that's not a good doctor. Okay, but anyway, uh, at other times, they would believe uh, that that's what would lure them out of the body, right? Because they were attracted to it. So it's like, oh, I gotta, uh. anyway, then they would flip it around. They say, well, a sweet substances like honey could be used to repel them, right? So if you want to get them out of you, you put dung on you. If you want to keep them away from you, you plaster yourself with honey. Right? Another technique is the doctors would draw images of the deities on the patient's skin and then the patient licked them off. And then that supposedly you absorb the healing power. Uh, they would also put these healing and protective spells uh, inscribed on statues and stone slabs for public use. For I guess, you know, it's, you know, it's just the average Joe and, and whatever. Uh, and the reason why is because, quote, nothing new in the sun, doctors were extremely expensive in Egypt right? Uh, so for most everyday purposes, the average Egyptian, they couldn't afford on that. So they had to go to the non-professional doctors. Again, what are we talking about? What are they using? Witchcraft, right? And the, they possess some form of training and knowledge, right? I can't afford the top surgeon, so I got to get, you know, Joe Bob Schmo over here. Uh, and uh, so, and then uh, among these, there were the, the lower class you got folk healers, seers. You got uh, that could set broken bones, aid mothers that would help with birth. They would prescribe herbal remedies for common ailments. They would interpret dreams. Maybe that's your problem. Uh, isn't that the, all the rage today still, unfortunately? Uh, if a doctor or seer was unavailable, then everyday people would simply, quote, cast their spells on their own without assistance. So you couldn't even afford that. So now you're like that Bear Grylls guy. You're just out there and I'll just do it myself and eat this bug and whatever so uh egyptians were also again illiterate and uh but witchcraft had so permeated their society they couldn't read but they would memorize they were so dependent on their life for witchcraft they would memorize spells and incantations for later use so they may not be able to read anything else but these people knew witchcraft again tells you how permeated of their society like the babylonians the ancient egyptians there was no distinction between witchcraft and medicine uh it's what they use now a third one real quick is these guys these are called the scorpion charmers okay a third class of priests involved in witchcraft these guys were called in to quote get rid of the city of reptiles and insects so your early exterminators okay poisonous uh, reptiles and stuff they would call these guys in to get rid of them okay uh and then also the uh, midwives midwives were involved in that and again all these are depicted on their walls uh but again they're not just helping to deliver babies they're using what witchcraft uh to to do it as well they had just general quote wise women uh that can again uh, uh consult a ghost or a deity to help figure out your trouble and things of that nature and then of course if you couldn't even afford a person and you didn't even know how to do it yourself once again you would resort to amulets as we saw before, amulets are huge. Uh, these were uh, obtained. They believed that they had magical power and they were made by people called protection makers. That's right, right? So if you can't afford a super doctor, a, a, a second layer doctor, if you can't even get that snake charmer dude to come your way, right, just grab an amulet. 
Uh, you can purchase one of those, right? Uh, and, and they were used for spells, protection, magic, worn on the pers- person also for protection, things of that nature. And again, those are all different things that these people would be wearing, carrying on their bodies, uh, witchcraft, wherever you went. They were considered, quote, supernatural fighters. And their jobs were to protect the home, especially at night when they believed that chaos was and witchcraft uh, was at its most uh, 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 potent time, which again, people still believe today. Amuletic jewelry was used by all classes. There was protective amulets. Uh, they would take the form of deities or animals, royal names, symbols, uh, and, and sometimes not just for protection. They were supposed to give you like superpowers or give you desirable qualities like a long life, prosperity, or good health. So like a good luck charm uh, was used as well. Uh, they were spread, again, not just in the living, but they used amulets for the dead, anything to help you make it across in that afterlife. Uh, and then let me give you a couple examples. Again, you would, ladies today, guys, whatever, you wear jewelry, just, it's jewelry. When these people wore jewelry, it had everything to do with witchcraft. I mean, it served a purpose. It wasn't just for looks. Okay, understand their culture. Now, let me give you a couple examples. Pregnant woman, okay, when you became pregnant, you better hurry up and go out there and get one of these. This was called Torit, and this was supposed to be the goddess of childbirth. And if you wore this amulet, then it was going to protect you from miscarriage. All right? But after you had the baby, then you had to hurry up and take that one off, and you had to put this one on. All right? This is the god Bess, uh, and it was supposed to be the protector of children. So again, so you get the, get the proper procedure here, right? You have a baby, or you get, you're pregnant, okay? And then successful, then you pop that guy on. And that guy's supposed to help you out there. Uh, and this guy was uh, kind of weird. He had a head of a lion in the body of a dwarf, but somehow he protects children. I guess children are sh- like dwarfish initially. I don't know. I'm just working with him. But the most popular one that we recognize today, and it's all over the place, and I want to explain this, okay, was this guy, and that's the onk. Now, the onk, if you're wondering about that, uh, basically, it is everywhere. You know, people, I don't think, understand what they're even wearing, but the occult does, okay? Now, what that word means, A-N-K-H, okay, it represents life, or literally eternal life, okay? As you can see, it resembles uh, a, like a, a T with a loop on the end, and when you look at the higher gr- uh, glyphics, uh, you didn't just carry it willy-nilly. Uh, the loop was acted as a handle, okay, as you can see there that the Egyptians, gods, and goddesses would carry it. So it's like a handle, right? Now, why would they have it as a handle? Well, again, the onk is supposed to symbolize life, life force, eternal life, okay? And then when you look at the other things, then supposedly the gods and the goddesses would go to the pharaohs who were supposed to be gods, okay? And then they would put it up to their nose, okay? And then that would basically be a transfer of life, the life force and things of that nature. And then the pharaoh could disseminate uh, that to the people. Uh, but that's what you see. They're basically holding it up to the nose of the king, offering him the breath of life. Uh, the onk also, though, another translation of the word isn't just life or eternal life. It also means mirror, okay? Which is interesting. Typically, you see some of the older fashion, fashioned uh, handheld mirrors, but they're very similar. Uh, but that came from Egypt. Uh, and they did it in the symbol of the onk as well. Uh, in fact, uh, all kinds of things in the Egypt culture were in this shape uh, to symbolize life, eternal life, and things of that nature. You had mirrors, mirror cases, floral bouquets. Why do you give flowers in that shape? You know, they kind of, if you think about it. Uh, and then similar objects like libation vessels, sistra, that was a musical instrument, were also made in the shrine. And of course, they're all over uh, the pyramids and things of that nature. Now, in modern times, 
okay? People in the occult are big on this, uh, especially in the goth subculture, if you're familiar with those uh, who are into the vampire genre today. Uh, and they like this symbol. They use it in their culture uh, because of the connotations of eternal life, but also the dark implications with it. In fact, uh, witches today, not just the goth cultures, uh, they still add these things to their collections. Like this lady, she went shopping at a witch store and she picked one up for herself. Let's take a look. The Anak, an old and ancient symbol that the Egyptians carry throughout their culture. The symbol is an Egyptian hieroglyphic for life or breath of life. And as the Egyptians believed that one's earthly journey was only a part of an internal life, the Anak symbolizes both mortal existence and the afterlife. The Anak has a cross shape, but with an oval loop in place of an upper bar. Hey everybody, I just wanted to show you my shopping witchy haul today. I did a little bit of shopping because I wanted to buy some things. Isn't this gorgeous? Look at that. It's kind of hard to see it, but it's Egyptian. Isn't that beautiful? I bought this from thewitchesmoon.com. So I got bought that from them. I've never purchased their um, their boxes, but when I saw this, I loved it. And then I got this here. Isn't that cute? And it's like a thick ceramic, so the quality's good. It's a lot nicer than I thought it would be. Yeah, if you're into pentagrams and witchcraft and stuff. But again, that's still being used today, Nicole. And again, Lord willing, later we're going to get into their practices and things of that nature. Uh, another popular amulet back in the day, again, supposed for power and protection, was this thing. You might have seen this in a lot of artwork. This is the Eye of Horus. Okay, you're saying, Eye of Horus, what's the big deal with this eye? Well, this wasn't just any eye. Are you looking at me? You should look at that. It's, that's the eye. Uh, eye of Horus represented the new eye that was given to Horus by the god Thoth as a replacement for his old eye, which had been destroyed during a battle with Horus's uncle Seth. Don't you hate when that happens? You get in a family fight in Thanksgiving, your eye pops out, and you, whatever. Anyway, amulets were also made to represent uh, uh, gods and animals. Uh, uh, a big thing in Egypt is the scarab beetle, right? All over the place. Why? Because they had a god called Kepri. As you can see, he had a beetle head, right? I don't know about you, but that would kind of freak me out. Okay, uh, but that's why that's big. That was supposed to be, you know, power and that stuff. But again, amulets were made from ceramic. They were made from stone, metal, wood, you, you name it, gold, what have you. But again, quote, none of these uses of magic was disapproved of either by state or priesthood. Everybody's doing the witchcraft. And as we close, just real quick, uh, let's get into some of their techniques. First of all, timing. Timing was huge. Dawn was supposed to be the best time to perform magic according to the Egyptian witchcraft people. Uh, they had to also be in a state of purity, which means you had to abstain from sex before the rite, avoid contact with people who were deemed polluted, such as embalmers, uh, menstruating women, people who eat chicken. Maybe not that one. Ideally, the magician would bathe and then dress in new uh, clean clothes before casting the spell. So timing was aspect, it was important. They also had this. Harry Potter has nothing new under the sun. Wands, and that's an actual wand. There was metal wands uh, that they would have with a snake goddess. This one you see here is an ivory wand 
that they would grab there. And it wasn't just decorated, hey, that looks pretty cool. I think I'll buy that. No, there was a reason for that. They were decorated with, quote, fearsome deities uh, that were supposed to be giving the magician, the witch, uh, authority to summon powerful beings and make him or her obey uh, him or her, okay. Uh, they also were used to draw protective circles around people. Uh, the wands were also engraved with dangerous beings uh, that would act as those beings were to help the person in witchcraft to fight off uh, other entities and things of that nature. That's why they're depicted as shown as stabbing or strangling or biting evil forces. Uh, and things of that nature. So they had uh, their wands. They not only had wands, but they have spells. There's spells all over the place. Witchcraft spells all over the place in Egypt still to this day. This is written magic. And we saw written magic was very well uh, kept uh, because again, the average Joe didn't, uh, couldn't read. So this is more of the high ups. They also kept it in libraries. They passed it on to families. And uh, that might very well be why we have so many of them today. But the spells usually consisted of two parts the words to be spoken and the description of the actions to be taken or the instructions. To be effective, all the words, especially the secret names and deities had to be pronounced correctly. Same thing in witchcraft today. You gotta say it right. You, oh, oh, you pronounced it wrong. Start over, right? It's the same thing, but nothing new under the sun. Uh, and again, same thing with potions and things of that nature. Uh, that's nothing new. Uh, some of the potions, again, would uh, have ingredients such as, quote, the blood of a black dog, or the milk of a woman who had given birth to a male child, okay? So again, all this witchcraft, weird poses, the eye of a newt, you know, none of that stuff is uh, strange. This has been going on for a long time. Music, dance, gestures, pointing, stamping, all that too was part of what they would do with spells. But they didn't just do spells, they did curses, okay? They would use, quote, destructive magic. Well, witchcraft black, witchcraft white, witchcraft good, witchcraft destructive, it's all witchcraft, it's all bad. That's the illusion. Now, uh, what they would do is they would take the names of foreign enemies or Egyptian traders. They would inscribe their names on clay pots, tablets, or figurines. Then they would burn them, break them, or bury them in cemeteries. And that belief was that would destroy or weaken their enemies. Uh, In the temples, the priests uh, would also do curse ceremonies, right? The curse of the mummy. Don't go in there, right? And that was part of the things. They still find those today. They would also put curses on the enemies of the kings, uh, and they also believe that if you can give uh, something from the intended victim that you want to curse, uh, such as hair, nail, nail clippings, or bodily fluids, it would make it even more potent. And again, that's exactly the same thing that even goes on today. Nothing new under the sun. In fact, uh, as we close, this kind of magic or, quote, destructive magic, it's all bad, actually was turned against King Ramses III by a group of priests courtiers and harem ladies and here's what happened and they got they found this in writing the conspirators got a hold of a book of destructive magic and from the royal library they used it to make potions written spells wax figurines to harm the king and his bodyguards okay the harem ladies being around the king were got access to hair and body fluids and stuff so they thought man this baby's gonna work we're gonna overthrow the king unfortunately quote the plot seems to have failed duh Okay, and the conspirators were tried for sorcery and condemned to death. You know, why of all nations did God send the plagues upon Egypt? Yeah, of course, the Jewish people were there for about 400 years. He was leading them out of that. But was there another side to why he judged that nation so severely? Well, when you take a look at what's going on here, folks, what do you think it is? I think there's another side to the story. 
God was judging their witchcraft. Let's take a look at what he did real quick.
Wow. Thanks to Hollywood, we can visualize what really happened. That was a huge society back in the day. Okay, why did God judge them? Yeah, certainly because they weren't letting the people go, the Pharaoh. But I think a lot of it, when you understand the culture, is witchcraft, man. Big time. In fact, uh, maybe it adds a little bit more to let my people go so that they may worship me, the one and only true God. Okay, but what could be another message that God's sending? Let my people go because my people have no business being a part of the occult and witchcraft. And if you're going to worship me, you worship me alone. You have nothing to do with that. Oh, and by the way, later, when God did bring them out of all that, what did the people do? They whined and complained, says, we had it better in what? With all that witch, and you wonder why God reacted the way he did? This adds a whole new element to it, doesn't it? Think, oh, God's being mean. No, he's not. Excuse me, I pulled you out of that witchcraft and the cold stuff. And you actually said you'd rather, instead of being with me, You'd want to go back to that? That's crazy. But also, as we close, real quick, there's another reason why God was judging specifically with those 10. It wasn't just 10 things. It was 10 specific things. Why? Because he was judging their witchcraft and he was judging every single one of their false deities that they relied upon for witchcraft. Real quick, uh, why water turned to blood? Because uh, in the gods of Egypt, there was Knum, was the guardian of the river source. Hopi was the spirit of the Nile. Osiris was supposed to, Nile was his bloodstream. So God's saying, that ain't right. I, I'm the one uh, who's in charge. Frogs, why frogs? Because Happy was the frog goddess of Egypt. Why lice? Because Seb was the earth god of Egypt, which is where the lice came from. Flies, why about fly? Because uh, Yudachik was the fly god of Egypt. Why cattle? Why the disease on the cattle? Because Ptah, uh, Menevis, Hathor, and Amon, all those were Egyptian gods associated with bulls and cows. Boils, why boils? Because Sekhmet was the Egyptian god of ed- epidemics, uh, and Serapis and Imitate was the gods of healing well they didn't work did they either hail why that because newt was the egyptian sky goddess isis and seth were the egyptian agriculture deities which the hail completely destroyed the agriculture uh shu was the egyptian god of the atmosphere locust why that one because serapia was the egyptian deity protector from locust hmm starting to get a message it all is fake and it doesn't work only God has ultimate power darkness why that because Ra Amon Ra Aten Atum and Horus were the Egyptian sun gods and Thoth was the Egyptian moon god you ain't getting no light from nowhere okay and then why the death of the firstborn because uh, the Pharaoh himself was believed to be a god and what did also Pharaoh do he sent an order to what to kill the firstborn of the Jewish people so God says, you think you're the author of life? You think you're God? I'm going to take out all the firstborn, including yours, right? So why did God judge Egypt? Certainly, yeah, to let the people go, but he's being very specific. He is specifically attacking every one of their deities that their whole society revolved around what? Witchcraft. Adds a whole new element. And if he didn't like it then, do you think he likes it today? Rhymes with no, in case you're wondering. And if he said, let my people go and get out of that, do you think he wants us to be a part of that today? Absolutely not. If he didn't like it then, he's not going to like it today. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple of things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. 
God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying, okay? How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand, okay? Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even his name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven. I need a savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. You, the, the word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against him and disqualified us that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judge has said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row, it's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon 
for that person's crimes and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey, folks, if that's you, don't delay You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is the Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave. And the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.